Welcome to episode 501 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright, our team, welcome along to episode 501 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm really good. Really good. 501, John, like yep. I said before, like a pair of jeans. But skinny jeans are in these days, aren't they? Kind of. Nowadays, fashion's everything, John. Don't like but you know what? Jeans. No, do you know what's good about skinny jeans nowadays, John? What? Is they have the stretchy material. Mm. So I've got skinny jeans, because I've never been a big skinny jean oh, fan, because no. I have disproportionate size quads to yes. the rest of my body. Yeah. And I know that sounds odd. Yeah, and it kind of is, mm-hmm. but but I was in Australia one time buying something, and I bought these skinny jeans that were kind of more like an elasticy jean. Right, love them. Great. So now skinny, I can pull them off. Great. And put them on. Great. See that? Yeah. You can try them if you want. There is your fashion tip of the week. What kind of jeans do you get? As long as they're selling barkers, it's fine, mate. Oh, you're just a one-shot man, aren't you? One-shot man. I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. And our patrons. Okay, let's name a few of them. Paula Green, Blended Brilliance. Or the Divine One. Or the Divine One. I like the Divine One. Cool. She's the Divine One. Uh, we've got Colette Andrews, Coasting. Coasting Colette Andrews. Mr. Big, Robert Trotman. <gasps> Paul... Ooh. Ooh. Mango Mad. Mango Mad More. Yeah. Quite sure where that came from. And then Christine, the Grinder McKinley. Here we go. Love your work, guys. If you want to become a patron, go to me. It's all pretty obvious from there. Actually, I know Paula Green, John, and she's uh, trying to do, I think, 50 races in the year this year. Nice. Some kind of pretty epic little challenge for herself. So that's pretty full on, isn't it? It's pretty full on in the bank balance as well. Good luck, Paula Green. Okay, Jombo results uh, news this week's show. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> we've got mm-hmm. some news. We've got an age group of the week. We've got statistic. We've got a couple of interviews. We have. So first up, we'll have a guy called Rob Gray, who is an age group athlete, got a job, got kids, and he is training for Ultraman Florida and also has been a Kona qualifier. So getting a bit more age group love on the show. Okay, we've got a... And then yeah. also Torsten, talking to him, a chat, quick chat with Torsten, who's got his try rating for 2015 out. And we also have my first try, which is a new segment to the show, so we'll see how this one goes. Mm-hmm. John often just throws all random segments that we yeah. only see once or twice, so... Recipe of the week, didn't quite stick. Joke of the week. Yeah. Someone sent through a joke the other day, didn't they? Didn't they? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was, it was actually passable. Hmm. Yeah, I was picking on New Zealanders, but so it's not much chance of getting a joke in the show if you pick it on us. Mm. You know, yeah, it came from Australian. Uh, and we've got some questions and answers at the end. Actually, I tell you, you said we've got age group of the week, but I've pushed that over to next week because we've got two interviews now. Oh, okay. Well, age group of the week, you have to wait. Yes. There we go. Uh, results, John, but the news, we've got results. Challenge, oh no, sorry. I'm at no. 3.3. Dubai was yeah. on the weekend and no real surprises on who won the race. No real surprises, but geez, Gianfredino, how is anybody going to beat that dude? I know we're going about Daniela Reith, but 
but Fredino is such an axe on the bike now. So as we, as everybody kind of expected, Jan Fredino took out the race uh, from Josh Amberger, who actually went pretty solidly, but Arnott's in third, uh, out sprinting Terenzo Bozzoni in fourth. But Jan Fredino, you know, he's always at the front in the swim, you know, he's second out in Kona, second or third out in Kona with Potts and Dylan McNeese. Which are... Just rockstar swimmers, rockstar right? swimmers. Yeah. but then, uh, but now these days you think, okay, wait for the run, but he just blitz them on the bike. Josh Amberg has a real reputation as being a real good hammerhead on the bike. Sometimes explodes a bit on the run. Yeah, well, he stayed with him, I think, for like the first lap, didn't he? And then yeah. Yeah, and just boom, see you later. Boom. So, but what we should say before this is the swim got shortened to 1,200 metres um, because of pretty severe winds, and that had a bit of an impact on the bike as well by the look of it. It was uh, looked windy and cold. And the Fredino rode 202 to Josh Amberger's 205 and Bart Arnott's and Terenzo's sort of 204 and 207 respectively. So um, he is so impressive on the bike and he's the fastest iron distance runner out there and he's one of the fastest over any distance runner in the whole sport. You know, the only guys that are quicker than him are a couple of the ITU dudes, um, you know, Mola, Gomez and the Brownleys and then uh, very impressive. And he said he hasn't been doing any training. Which rips your undies off, really, because he mm. did a one thirteen run. Mm. So he, he said he didn't do anything. Pros when they say they didn't do anything. He yeah, said he didn't like do nothing. Yeah, he, he said uh, peaking. He didn't do anything until Christmas time, and then did about four weeks of uh, good solid training. So pretty impressive. Sign. I'm just gutted Gomez isn't ironing this year. Oh, it's all about the ITU, Bevan. You know that. I know, but I'm. I'm, I'm Hopefully he comes over next year. He's not. He's not going to do a. Um, no, he's still. At, he's still at the top of his game. Yeah, but so was Lessing. Uh, no, he was on the way out. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, still very another, good. Another, another year from now, will Gomez still? Because okay, Gomez. No, he's still on top of his game. So then next year's Kona is going to be the best one. Yep. Yep. Girls side of things, no surprises there. Daniela Reef dominated the dojo, but really didn't crush it quite as you would have expected on the the bike. She rode a two seventeen as opposed to Caroline Stefan, who was whipping up the pace with a two nineteen. So Daniela Reef uh, took it out by four minutes from Caroline Stefan, who had a sprint finish as well. So a couple of sprint finishes. She beat Kaiser Lethonen from Finland in third, and girl that we had a little while ago as uh, I think she was one of the fastest age groupers in Kona and now sort of switched over to to pro Jocelyn McCauley pretty impressive result for her actually in fourth place so that is round one of the triple crown what's interesting about this is when you when you read the press release on um, ironman.com no mention of it whatsoever which I find really odd. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen anything on Iron Man about... Well, the press release is pretty small anyway. Yeah, but you'd think they'd at least have something. Yeah, round one in the... Million dollar challenge. And I think... So there's something I think political maybe, going on. Maybe in some ways, and this is just, I've pulled this sword out of my butt, it's not to Iron Man's advantage to do this because it takes a focus away from their big race. Mm. You know, if they were to put a lot of energy into promoting this and then people, you know, you get a million dollars... And then in Kona, you only get 120000 if you win it. Mm. Maybe they're thinking, well, why, why would we bother promoting this? Because actually, A, it may look at, make us look bad. Mm. Although it's their races. But, but you know, our, our kind of prestigious race is all we want to put our energy into. Yeah, so. 
just it does seem odd, odd, doesn't it? Very odd. Yeah, because so it's such an obvious story. Yeah, that was, and especially this time of the year when there's not much going on. So that's round one. So you've got two people in the game. Everybody else is out, and those are the, probably the two people that can actually pull this off. So when Yafredino was asked about it, he didn't really seem to be making much of a big deal about it. He said, oh, yeah, we'll just kind of see how the year unfolds. And, yeah, but he could, uh, both of those those guys and girls could definitely do it. So, yeah, it could be $2 million out of pocket this year. I, was, oh, I thought it was only one million. Uh, so, so if if you is it potentially two million? I think so. Oh, okay. I thought no, it was. Just, don't quote me on that, but I think so. Oh, I thought it was. You win three races, be... you get a million bucks. Okay, there you go. Okay, then uh, we also had Israel Man. Israel Man and Hal Tells out there racing. Yeah. And finished in second place. I popped him an email for a bit of feedback on the race. Said the the swim was beautiful, crystal clear, just in the Red Sea, amazing swim. Um, the bike, as we sort of discussed last year, was uh, was, was very hard. You got over three thousand meters of climbing in there. Just sort of you have a big long climb, and then it's just sort of up and down, relentless. But the big thing he said about the bike, and I kind of noted this, I think, when I was looking at the the event last year cold as hell on the bike said it was like four or five degrees when you go out and swim and absolutely freezing once you kind of got up onto the top of the climb and you see that in the pictures everybody's got gloves and jackets and arm warmers and stuff on Uh, and then he said the start of the run um, was a killer you know you got 9k downhill with at a pretty significant percentage and just blows your legs then the rest of it's all flat so However, Hal Tao had a, had a great little race. He finished in uh, third place overall um, in 10, 10 hours and 32 seconds um, against the winner who was Bart Candell in 8.46. And the old uh, big man Pete Vabrusic was there in second in 9.57. So Hal Tao hasn't been doing much try stuff for quite some time. We know he's been focusing on the running. So uh, to come back and do that, he was uh, pretty happy. On the girls' side of things, we had... The first guy did 9.46, you said 8. Did I? Yeah. Yeah, so those those dudes are only, you know, they're not cracking six hours by that much in the, uh, on the bike, so it's a yeah. pretty tough day at the office. And people who are sick nowadays is probably like an 8.55 kind of guy. Are you still getting 8.45 out? Oh, at a rote or something like that, but yeah, yeah. Else, elsewhere, just just sort of uh, back in the day, he was more of an eight forty kind of guy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, girls' side of things, you had Antonia Ren- Rezenkov from Israel take it out in ten fifty nine sixteen. So there are one hundred eighty five people racing. They also have a, a half on as well, and I think they have quite a few on that. Oh, cool. Um, okay, Jumbo. We also have a bit of news and festival challenge. Melbourne. Well, oh, got a few, oh, sorry, Pan America seventy point three championships. I was pretty impressed with this uh, field that they had there. Sarah Haskins took out the the girls' race, and then on the guys' side of things, just when you want it, uh, the results don't come up. Yep. But what's not, happened there? They've taken them down. The race no longer exists. Now I've got to remember off the top of my. Oh, that's right. Lionel. It was only seventy point three, but Lionel Sanders just. Killed it on the bike, did he? But it was a uh, killed it on the bike and the run. Um, but overall, it was a really quality field. And the other thing I remembered when I was looking at it yesterday was uh, Oscar Galindez, I think, finished in fifth place or something like that. And he, uh, I don't know how old he is, but he must be mid 40s. Pretty impressive. And he was like the same time as Jeff Simons or something like that, or just, just behind him. So that was pretty impressive. So uh, we 70.3 Panama City. We also challenge Melbourne. Todd Skipworth and uh, Ali Salthouse took it out. Yes. And then some other challenge use. They've, they've been announcing races all flipping week. Challenge uh, at pretty cool destinations. So they've got Challenge Aruba, 
Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take you. Bahia, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. Yeah, you got okay, it. Okay, right. I don't know the words. Uh, it's gonna be on the happy island of Aruba with crystal clear blue waters, pearly white beaches, and balmy the balmy Caribbean climate. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be on 23rd of October. It'd be quite nice to go there after Kona for the people that are racing. Maybe we should change our travel plans, Bevan. Meet, the, girl, meet the girls over there after Kona. Uh, Although, it's on the other, side of the, it's the other side of the country, isn't it? Yeah, but still. still you can take a plane trip over there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Someone else pays, bring it on. Uh, they also challenge, also announced another race, uh, Challenge Iceland, which is going to be on the 23rd yeah. of July. Kind of cool. I think the th- what, I, what I get with these races, there's, there's so many races on in cool locations these days back in the day you know you had these races like say Laguna Phuket in Thailand and St Croix and there wasn't that many so they were real iconic iconic destination races there are a lot these days and so I just think that people need to have their expectations in the right place when you go to some of these races you're not going to have thousands of people going to Iceland you're going to turn up there and enjoy the whole experience of the race and where you're going to. But, you know, I think a lot of these races are not going to have big fields. But, well, not, but that, wonder, not that there's anything wrong with that. I wonder if challenge – yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, well, you, what your hope is that the organisation can make profit from a race because it's not mm. going to hang around if, if that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But a challenge must do research and figure out – you know, they must have a number. They must say, okay, mm. we need at least – Cheaper. What do you reckon would be the minimal number? They want at least 500, wouldn't they? Yeah, I would say so. But yeah. you create a festival event, so you might go, okay, first year, it's a half Ironman, we might get 300, and then if we have a sprint try or a kids' race, something like that, we get another couple of hundred. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of think they wouldn't put a race on if they didn't think they'd get people there. Mm. So, But they are cool destinations, and that's where they're trying to differentiate themselves is they're, they're trying to make it all about the athlete and have some really cool locations. Okay, as priority entry for Ironman Gold All-World Athletes. So as of 2016, Ironman Gold All-World Athlete, you have the opportunity to gain priority entry for the new 2016 events and selected 2017 Ironman races. The following events will be open for registration soon and you'll have a chance to secure your entry before they go on sale to the general public. Don't hesitate to take advantage of this exclusive, limited time offer. John, what were the races? Well, the... Oh, that paragraph I kind of could have cut out. What was interesting about this one is it's a 70.3 in Hafei in China. And so we announced this thing. It was last week they sent out the press release. So new, back going back to China, haven't been there for ages. 70.3, but it's going to have Kona slots. Oh, so wow. everything was sort of going the other way. They were pulling Ironman um, Kona slots from races, you know, so Kona 70.3, they pulled the slots from there, and everywhere seemed to be losing slots, but they're going to China. Amount, 50 slots? No, no, it's 15. Oh, okay, wait a second. 50 to 70.3. 70. will offer 50. So it's just 15. It's oh. 15. So, Why does it say 50 there? Is you got it wrong? No, it's 50 age group slots for the 70.3 and 15 oh, for Kona. Oh, sorry, okay. So I think this is really interesting because races, this, this race in China is in the middle of nowhere, like literally in the middle of nowhere. It looks like a nice destination. Yeah, Google map it. But what it's I think A, they're trying to get the Chinese market and then trying to get people over there. But it's just such a strong marketing tool because I, I had this sent through from a from an athlete I coached and I was like, that's if you, if you, it's just before Kona, you can qualify for the next year at a seventy point three. So in effect, for two years you don't have to do an Ironman, you could focus all your efforts on trying to get to Kona. So it's a it's a it's a good move, and it would be enough to get 
a lot There's of those. lots enough, but because well, no, it's only going to be one, 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 one per age, age group. Isn't it? But if you're somebody who lives in in Asia, either um, you know, there's a lot of expats over there. I'd be looking at this going, oh, I might just uh, chance my arm here. So I think it'd be a great move for them to get a few more people racing there. So it's what just maybe from Shanghai, probably. Yeah, but this, you look on a China map and you go, that doesn't look very far, and then yeah. you actually go, that's quite a long way. Yeah. So it is, uh, yeah. Interesting to see where that goes. Another bit of challenge news. Um, they're in a bit of a court case now or a bit of a battle with, with Dubai where we obviously had the 70.3 at the weekend. Last year it was Challenge Dubai. Apparently they owe out 45000 US to um, travel expenses, appearance fees, staff wages and travel costs, um, international media. So a bit, bit of a crap fight going over there um, with Challenge in uh, Dubai. Well, it's interesting, John. Hmm. What's interesting, Bevan? Well, if you wanted to run or walk from <laughs> Shanghai to Hefei, it's going it's, it's to take you about 96 hours. Yeah. Yep. So it's about it's about 500 k's from Shanghai. It's not too far. Yeah, it's actually not too bad, is it? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, it is interesting. It's interesting. It's actually not a huge amount of money. No. Like, I get it. You don't want to get your money back, and mm. uh, fair enough challenge actually taking them to court, but 45000 is not a huge amount for these businesses, would it be? No. So interesting. You know, it's interesting... Because often the lawyers will charge you bloody forty thousand and something like this. Yeah, I just think this whole this whole as we sort of discussed last week um, with Sarah Gross, uh, just the whole inner workings of Middle Eastern politics and everything that goes on over there is uh, is pretty something we're not going to be able to understand very easily. And I think if you yeah, it's just a funny old situation. Just a funny ha 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 ha. <laughs> okay, Jombo, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yeah. So, so how long do you reckon it often takes you to put up a race, John? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. I woke up this morning, I thought, hmm, Athlinks. I wonder how long it takes to you to put up a race on their website. Well, I got up this morning, I actually did it. Because oh, I, back it up. I had uh, a race last weekend, and I had my Nelson race that I'd forgotten to submit, which was before Christmas. You had a race last weekend? Yeah. What race did you do last I'll weekend? I'll tell you about that later. Oh. And I thought, oh, better get them up there. Two minutes 59 to get one of my races up there. That's how long it took me. It's not a big investment of your time. And while I was actually up there, I realised I'd forgotten about a different race, and so I submitted that as well. Yeah. And um, look, I think, guys, fantastic tool for remembering where your race were, because I was thinking, right, I did that Nelson Sprint try. I did one up there a few years ago. I went through my Athlinks profile, wasn't there. Had, then I had to go through the Nelson Tri Club and try to find the result, and that took me a hell of a lot longer than this. Uh, so, look, if you want to keep all your results in one place and be able to really quickly compare them, that was the thing I um, wanted to do. I wanted to see, right, how fast was I, because I thought I was pretty slow this year, and, but in fact I was actually quicker than what I was uh, Back in 2013, when I did the same event on the exact same course. So if I had all that in Athlinks, it would have been able to tell me that in about 10 seconds flat versus me having to scroll through the Nelson Tri Club website and try to figure out when I did it. So Where did you get this year? I don't think we've talked about this race, the Nelson race. Uh, I got second. I got smoked by some young whippersnapper up uh, there. Young whippersnappers. Mm. I thought I was going to beat him on the run and a bit on the bike. He beat me in the swim, the bike, and the run. Uh, how, far be- how, how far behind were you in the swim? So the swim accuracy at this race was n- is not their strong point. Meant to be seven fifty. Took me my swim split, I think, including transition. I think it was uh, sixteen minutes. Okay, it's not that accurate. And it should take me maybe tenish. Yep. So he whopped That's me. That's well in, off. He whopped me in the swim big time. Yeah. I think so, I was, but you think it doesn't matter? I, I think I was a minute and a half down. And you're thinking schmuck going out too hard. Mm, and then so you get off the bike. How far are you behind? 
I think I was probably a couple of minutes behind. I said put a minute on the bike, which was 20K, and then mm. 5K, you thought, doesn't matter. I've got experience in these legs. Yeah, and he put a teensy bit of time in me on the run as well. Mm. So that was before Christmas. Uh, you so went, You weren't fit then, eh? No. Check it out, athlinks.com. Keep all your results in one place. It takes you less than three minutes to get your result up there. Did you actually get the stopwatch out? I did, actually. Wow, that's commitment. I like yeah. it. I actually know which race you did because I'm on athlinks. Good. Yeah. Good. And so now my unofficial results are up there and probably within about a week or so they should be all my officials. So it actually has my time recorded up there because I put that in manually and then uh, Athlinks will update it and then I'll be able to see everybody else in there. Hackley Relays. Carol Cooper, you can then claim your Nelson result. There you go, Carol Cooper. Make sure you do it. Athlinks.com, less than three minutes. <laughs> Not even going to love life joke there. Okay, John, discussion of the week. Last week we had our 500th. 50th? 500th? 500th. Yeah. anniversary last year or last week and uh, so we just thought we'd kind of get you guys to share some moments with us and the discussion of the week was what were some of the highlights and maybe what are some of the things you've learned from the show and Jumbo, let's pull this up right now Jumbo, you can start because you're probably a little bit ahead of me no I'm not I'm oh. behind you <laughs> okay. I'm behind you Bevan did you see that girl in the uh, the Australian tennis open when she um, beat Serena no no she was uh, I don't know what, what part of the tournament she was in and uh, she she was getting interviewed after the tennis match, and um, she she won the match. And I can't remember she was I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said she 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 came from behind. She goes, "Yeah, I really like it to, when oh, I really? take it from behind or something like that." It didn't look good. No, but she laughed. It was pretty funny. What um what about the girl who had the the bike? Did you see that one on the news? Yes. Your thoughts? Oh yeah. Uh, so if you, those of you who haven't heard about yeah, that, you've not heard about this one. A Belgium girl um, got it was at the some road race somewhere, and she pulled out of the race, and the UCI checked her bike and had cables and everything coming out of it uh, down the seat post when they checked it, and she did have one of those little electric motors that people were accusing um, Cancellara of having having a few years ago. There was a video of her, May. There mm. was a video of Cancellara at that time, and I remember it was it looked pretty damning evidence. There was a moment where he just kind of put the foot down and. But since, since then, people have really debuffed that one. But anyway, this girl actually physically had the motor in there. And uh, I, I see I was talking to Phil last night about that. And, and and then he said, yeah, did he actually know that her dad was coming out denying that she did anything? But on the other hand, her brother has been is currently serving an EPO ban. Oh, really? So, yeah. Anyway, so she did have a little motor in there. I don't know what kind of advantage it gives you. Like how much speed it gives you. Well, I think they did that when they looked at the Cancellara thing. It's, it's not ridiculous but yeah but it's but enough, it's enough yeah. to really help you well any helps cheating isn't it it is so what do people think of uh, the highlights of our five 500th show um ed hawkins said best moment easy when bev told dave scott he was old it was gold he didn't he, he didn't really appreciate it did he no he didn't uh, yeah, it was um i'm gonna go lucy Fran oh no i'll go arnold how do you say his last name Sulikov. Sulikov. Um, I really can't recall a specific moment, but the Kona specials were great, as many others. Uh, we all have our vision of on the triathlon world, and it's good to have a different view, different insight to put things in perspective. I am talking the right balance of info, stories, weather updates, and I reckon that my Tuesday commutes are brighter because of you guys. Keep it coming. Good old grinder, Chrissy McKinley, loved the, loves the epic camp interviews, Kona super specials, and especially the interviews from the coffee boat. 
Yeah, that hopefully they'll cool. be back out there again. People this always year. often commented that they love the the swishing of the water. Yes. They'll be sitting at their office at work yeah. and listening to the show, or on the bike, and they see that water in the background. It makes their life. Yeah, nice. Uh, Lucy Francis. Every episode is a highlight for me. See, yeah. there you go. I listen to it on a Friday night as I unwind from a busy week of tight schedules to fit into work training and prepare for the weekend. I love the banter, the pen throwing, and the fact that it feels like two friends talking about triathlon and life. I laugh a lot. But a lot of good topics make me think too. Frank Lee was saying he uh, he's been listening since episode three. Yeah, at I age sixty eight, hoping to be around for episode one thousand. He was well, Frank Lee actually helped us um, the the outro. Oh. I, I can't remember. I think he maybe did I must. But I think John uh, John Hancock had something to do as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, but frankly, definitely a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Brown highlighted the humorous podcast about Iron Man and triathlon, embracing. The wank and the process. <laughs> I used to listen to episode episode, but life got in the way, so it's an occasional luxury for me. Cheers, boys. Keep punching. I don't know. I can't remember this one. Uh, Colin Bielowski. Favorite comedy moment was when you guys talked about Iron Man Canada a couple of years ago and the beer on the course. So that was at um, Whistler. Do you remember we saw the we saw the picture? And we we saw the picture. thought it was a joke, didn't we? Yeah. Bevan asked John how he would react to the beer, and John growled, to which Bevan quickly said, no, you're dead. John mumbles in disappointment, <laughs> lost my shit. It was hilarious. I don't remember that either. No. Also, I love the kind of specials. I think the show provides something there no one else does. William McDonald, the DP episode. <laughs> I nearly crashed a car while listening to that one. The funniest five minutes I'd heard in a long time. Had John didn't get it, and that did I, I didn't know. Uh, kept up the good work. I've learned a lot of the five years. Some great guests, and have made my Ironman journey a little bit easier. And I met DP and Kona on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> on the side of the road. And I can't remember. Was he giving me water, or was I was giving him water? One way or the other. Well, the guy, the guy. Yeah, it was Kevin. Kevin McFowl, is it? I think it is something like that. Wait, so you're racing? No, not in the race. It was like just out there training. And um, yeah, I think maybe it was I on the guy with DP. Yeah, yeah. That was a funny moment. You, you really didn't have no, a No, I didn't. <laughs> Jeff Curry agrees. Totally agree with DP episode. Pure gold. The show continues to be a big part of, of triathlon for me, and I've grown up from sprint to Ironman through the show, and I have the best nickname ever, The Explosion. Okay. Uh, Matthew Bins, the Sato interviews, always good value. The Epic Camp interviews, the chats with Melina. Bevan's attempt at reading out hard to pronounce names. I got a good one for you this week. Oh, don't give me any. I've never really improved on that front. John's rants and This Week in Lance. I had to put that in there just to wind John up. Lee Spore, I do fondly recall the conversation about John helping to polish Bevan's deck. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was pretty good. Nice. Uh, Duncan Smith from a New Zealand perspective. The show following two earthquakes were fantastic and a credit to John and Bevan. It was pretty crazy. We, like, the earthquakes happened. It was pretty crazy. What about a couple of hours after we'd record the show? we rang each other. How are we going to get the show out? Yeah. <laughs> it was like one of our priorities. <laughs> How towel? Nice work on your race the weekend. Uh, best line of the show, woman get a fair suck of the sand. <laughs> that was cold. <laughs> and I think my reference there was in terms of... You didn't even mean it that way, did you? No. I you up. No, it was yeah. sort of more... No, I can't. Oh, I won't even yeah, go. They'll give us trouble. Great, it wasn't a great one. Richard Swan highlight being interviewed in 2009 at the Kona Pier while packing myself pre-race. I remember that. Peter Colson, the gossip at the end. And uh, Martin King shared has got whenever John gets on a rant. I need to get a rant on. I'm trying not to complain so much about things, but I'll get a, right, get a rant on about something. There's no denying it. No. It's that, that pom in me. It's the pom in you. Righto, we've got to go do an interview, Bevan. Oh, you want to do Okay.
We're doing an interview. We're back in a second. Jumbo, we are back. We've just had a couple of interviews and we're back in the show. So uh, this week's discussion. Yes, yeah, so it's a twist on an email that Mick Cochran sent through. He was saying there are lots of pros out there have got their sponsorship deals, but then um, there's some other pros who are maybe not as good athletically, um, but they get really good sponsorship deals maybe because they are really dominant out there on social media and stuff. It is that sort of fear. So I kind of spun that around a little bit, and I'm not a big social media person myself, Bevan. Um, no, neither but, am I, to be honest. But we wanted to know, who are the best pro athletes on social media, and what sort of stuff do you guys like to see people posting? Okay, simple as that. Who are the best pros on social media, and what do you like to see from them? Yes. Very good. Okay, John, we're going to flag a few things because our interviews went longer than we thought. And John, what, what time do you need to be on your bike ride? Well, I've got to have something to eat before I go. Oh, he's got to have something uh, to eat as well. Yeah, I've got to steal got some to food. food. I forgot my power cookie this oh, morning. I've, I've only got carbohydrate, John. I've got some snack logs. Do you like snack logs? I brought it, I've, I've got some almonds and apricot. I just need something to pad that out a little okay. bit. But anyway, we've got an interview coming up with, first up, we're going to put in a guy called Rob Gray. And you will hear a little bit more about nutrition from him. He, But he is actually uh, training up for Ultraman Florida in a couple of weeks. So he's an age group athlete. You're going to hear about him right now. Here's Rob Gray. Righty-ho, um, we've got today a former age grouper of the week who wow. he goes around races and has <laughs> to fend off people because it has made his life... It's um, like the paparazzi follows him, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's an age grouper of the week back in 2013. He's a Kona qualifier. He's aiming for a, a sub-nine-hour Ironman somewhere around the world. Um, he's got a job, and we know that you guys like to hear from people who've got... I've got uh, kids, I've got jobs and how the hell they fit it all in and go fast. But also training for Ultraman coming up um, in a few months' time. His name's Rob Gray. So welcome along to the show, Rob. Hey, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Um, you actually, you're actually quite right about that age group of the week thing. I was actually in the, uh, in the gym the other day and some guy walked up to me in the locker room and said, Hey, are you Rob Gray? <laughs> and I, I said... Yeah, yeah, I am. Like, I was expecting maybe, I don't know, he's heard of me somewhere else. And he's like, oh, man, I listened to I'm talking. You were this age grouper of the week. And, uh, yeah, and I, I didn't know I was, I was that famous. But, yeah, age group of the week is uh, definitely right about that. I have oh. to, have to it, defend them off. It's never-ending. It'll be like that for the rest of your life. So, yeah. so I know. Prepare. I know. Yeah. So yeah. T- tell us a bit about yourself, um, a bit of an overview of uh, where you're from, your, your background, and, um, yeah, just sort of – athletically maybe where you've come from and how you got yourself to Kona? Okay, so um, background, I grew up in South Africa. Uh, to, as you guys uh, would know, it's pretty sports-oriented, but uh, you know, rugby, cricket, I did 400-meter uh, track at school. I did some swimming, cross-country, uh, tennis. Um, but it was you know, looking at what kids do today, if I just look at how kids do swimming in the U.S., you know, these guys are doing like you know, 5Ks in the morning and then like another 2Ks in the evening. And in my day at school, even though I say I, I swam at school, it was you know, like a 50-meter race. That was our race distance. We used to train twice a week. And you know, they, would, they would get us all at the pool and we'd do 10 sprints and that would be it. So with, with stuff like swimming and, and athletics, the, the training wasn't as rigorous as what I see kids doing today. But... Yeah, uh, you know, rugby was was very serious in South Africa. So you know, we used to train twice a day, and you know, it was kind of a different uh, 
a different kettle of fish. Um, yeah, I grew, grew up there and lived in lived in London for a while, and then uh, moved out to the U.S. Uh, I was based in California, and that's really where I started doing um, Ironmans. Was when I when I moved to the U.S. and uh, I now live in Boulder, Colorado. So, and you got a, yeah, got a couple of kids, and, a, and a, have you got a full time job, or what's the story there? Yeah, I've got a I've got a full time job. It's uh, it can be pretty taxing at times. I've got I've got two kids, age four and two. Uh, they can be even more taxing than the job at times, and it, it, it is tough to to kind of balance all this stuff. And I've I've been I've been doing Ironman since uh, since I've had kids actually. So I did my first Ironman back in 2011. It was Ironman Switzerland, and you know kids have actually been disrupting my Ironman stuff <laughs> since before they were born because we were in we were in uh, in Switzerland in Zurich for this for this first Ironman that I did. And it was two days before the race, and uh, my wife Michelle woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, you know, she had you know, there, was, there was something wrong, and there were all these complications. We had to get in a taxi and find a hotel, uh, sorry, a hospital in in Zurich where no one was really uh, you know, proficient in English, and we managed to find an English-speaking nurse, and we got it all sorted out. But mm-hmm. everything was fine in the end. But you know, even even before they were born, they were. They were kind of disrupting the whole Iron Man lifestyle that I I'd imagined for myself. Damn those kids! Damn those kids! What um, yeah. <clears throat> what originally made you want to do an Iron Man? Uh, I well, I kind of got into triathlon uh, by accident. I I used to race mountain bikes. I, I was doing cross country mountain bike racing in in the UK, and I happened to be uh, at you know, setting up this uh, this event for a for a work event and. The um, yeah at, at the time there was a you know the CEO of this company had uh, you know had he, you know, he noticed something that I was wearing and you know, it was these these uh, you know, running shoes and we just got into talking about sport and he said oh you should try you should try a triathlon uh, and this local bike shop used to send me these emails every every year with these closeout deals and I saw this beautiful. Uh, felt triathlon bike and I just was basically like bike porn I just I just loved the look of this bike I went into the store and I bought this triathlon bike just because the bike was cool <laughs> I got home with this triathlon bike and my my wife was like why why have you bought this aerodynamic bike you you race mountain bikes you don't even have a road bike what are you doing and then I I told her well, I've, I've entered uh, uh, a triathlon so I need a bike to do this and then I had to actually go and enter a triathlon to justify <laughs> this purchase and, and that's how I got into it um, it was kind of by accident but I you know, I, I did it and I, I, you know, I fell in love with it and I, I really found the sport that suited me uh, but it wasn't it wasn't planned it was just accidental and so what now is the appeal of doing Ultraman when you've, you know, you've done Ironman, you've done, uh, done Hawaii and stuff and, and got to a good level um, what's the appeal of Ultraman uh, I think mainly because it, it scares me and it, it really gets me out of my comfort zone. Um, my you know, my first Ironman scared me before I did it. I was I had no idea what I was in for, but I've done I've done ten or eleven now. I've I've you know, done done Kona a few times, and the idea of doing an Ironman doesn't scare me anymore. It, it's kind of a known entity, <clears throat> and the only real goal with Ironman is getting getting faster and trying to go as fast as I can. But the idea of the event itself doesn't fill me with fear, and the idea of Ultraman does fill me with fear. It's a you know, three-day event. Day one is a 10k swim and a 90-mile bike. Day two, 
It's 171 miles on the bike, and day three is a double marathon. And I've never run more than 55 k's in my life. So the idea of running a double marathon is pretty is pretty out there, and it it really pushes me outside of my comfort zone, which is something that uh, it motivates me to uh, you know to get the training done and um, you know and I also think. It suits my physiology. The, the longer the event, the better I seem to do. And I've, I've got this this hunch that Ultraman will suit me even better than Ironman, but we'll uh, we'll find out in, in a few weeks. Just around that format you just mentioned there, um, the, the sort of the, 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 the Hawaii format where you do the swim, a bit of a bike on the first day, the full bike, a big bike on the second day, and the double marathon the third day. For those of us who don't follow Ultraman closely, is that becoming sort of the standard format now? Because I know they use that in Canada, and they use it in uh, in the new one in Noosa. Um, but then there's other formats where you do, you know, all of the swim one day, and or, or you can do it continuously. Um, so is there some sort of standardisation coming in now? Uh, for the Ultraman events uh, specifically, so this is like the Ultraman brand. Yes, it's all the same, the same format, which is swim bike day one, long bike day two, double marathon day three. Uh, there's some other events that have kind of branched off and, and done their own thing that are you know, similar to Ultraman format but different distances. Uh, you have obviously these these other extreme triathlon events like the like the Deca Ironman, which is you know ten. 10 Ironmans on 10 consecutive days and then other ones that are that are continuous that are, you know that, that, you know I think those are kind of crazy things and um, you know the, for me the Ultraman is at least at least it's kind of a it's a step longer than than Ironman but it's not you know, it's not as a you know crazy thing as doing 10 Ironmans in 10 days mm-hmm. what's been your plan you know you, you've done Ironman obviously a few times you've probably you know you've figured out that formula with evolution within it you know, as you go into doing Ultraman, how does your training differ from what you do with an Ironman? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and I, yeah, I'm kind of figuring this out. I'm I'm an Ultraman rookie, so I'm I'm trying to you know, really figure this out. The biggest thing I've noticed is that the uh, yeah, I thought my training hours would go up significantly or would need to, uh, and they they really haven't for for Ironman. Like for a serious Ironman, if I'm really trying to be in top shape, I'll be doing. 25 plus hours per week and you know, the, the combination of it being winter in Boulder uh, you know, as well as the extra recovery needed for the type of training means I haven't really done huge hours. Most, most of my weeks are 18 to 20 hours. I haven't done really these massive weeks. And the, you know, some of the training that's different would be uh, you've got, you basically got to train like an ultra runner and do ultra runner type of workouts. And you know, one of the things those guys do is They'll do these big back-to-back days. So, for example, a you know, Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. You have uh, you know two big days. So for me, it would be I've been trying to build up to 20 miles on the first day and 30 miles on the the next day, and then either side of that the two days, you you've got uh, no running at all, uh, which is different to Ironman training where I'm you know, I'm just kind of aiming for consistent volume and maybe your one big long run a week and you know. You're two maybe higher intensity but shorter runs and the rest just fillers to get the volume. You know, this you're doing these these two big days, which requires a lot of recovery. Uh, so I'm maybe having two recovery days a week where I'm not doing much, but on the other days you've also got to try and fit in training for a 10k swim and you've got to do enough bike volume to do this 170 mile bike. 
So I, I don't think I've figured it out, but it's it's definitely different in the sense that you do more on on say one day, and then you have uh, longer recovery periods in between. Because mm. it is but, really. But I, but I but I am looking forward to doing the one in Hawaii because it means I can actually train during summer, not not have to go out in these mm. freezing temperatures. Because that's the real game changer. Is um, yes, the bike's really long. Yes, the swim's really long. But running a double marathon, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna hurt a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, totally. And it's you, and you can't you can't fake it, right? Like you can you kind of get through a ten k swim, you can get through a long bike ride, um, but yeah, running running a double marathon is uh, yeah, that's going to be a serious that's going to be a serious thing. And so, how how have you coped with winter? You mentioned that just before. Um, you know, I guess you're doing a lot of biking on the trainer. So, so how are you getting through? I mean, this will be applicable for, for Ironman athletes as well. You know, what, what things are you using to, to stay motivated on the bike? What apps do you maybe use to, to keep yourself uh, in the game on the bike? Or are you just one of those nut bars who can stare at a circle on the wall for 10 hours while you do an indoor <laughs> trainer session? Uh, no, no, I'm not one of those guys, but I, I can do long trainer rides. You know, the key, the key to me was you know, a few years ago, I actually got hit by a car and I broke my ribs and it was five weeks before an Ironman race. And I, the only thing that I could do was get on a trainer and ride. I couldn't, I couldn't even walk. So I couldn't, I couldn't run, I couldn't walk, I couldn't swim, but I still wanted to try and get my training done and recover. And it was, it would take me about 10 minutes to get on the bike. And once I was on the trainer, I could go. And I would just do that for four or five hours a day. So mentally, I, I developed some tactics for getting through long trainer rides. Uh, you know, obviously, things like Netflix helps. There's some, you know, some great content on there. So any, any of my TV watching, I actually don't do on the couch. I do it all on the trainer. Uh, you know, things like even, you know, even work meetings. Like if you, know, you have these meetings, uh, you know, some of these big companies have what they call all-hands meetings, which is a, it's an important meeting that you've got to go to. And it's maybe an hour to an hour and a half in, in length, but it's not something you're actively participating in. You just you just there receiving the information. So I just often get on my trainer. I just hook in on the video conference, and I, I yeah, I'm participating. Uh, and actually, I'm probably more engaged than the people are there because I'm I'm sitting on a trainer. I've got nothing else to do but listen to what what these guys are saying. Whereas if you if you're there in person, you're kind of looking around you, or people are checking email and that sort of thing. So I do I do a lot of that stuff, and then. Uh, you know, I've, you know, there's some other things to get through through longer rides. So, you know, four or five hours. I don't really spend. I don't really do more than five hours on the trainer. I've done a few six-hour rides, but uh, nothing more than that. You know, some of these Ultraman guys, I've read about them doing these 12-hour trainer rides, which just you know, it seems a bit crazy to me. I'd rather sort of up the intensity and just do a six-hour hard ride and and mm. get through it, and and then it's done. Um, so yeah, tra- I use Trainer Road as well. I've got a Wahoo kicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find the the kicker really helps. You you put it in erg mode. It controls your power. You just you don't have to think about it. It means you can do other stuff like you, mm. like you watch TV or uh, you know, do emails or whatever. You know, the multitasking is really key, so that you you don't have to do that stuff at another time of day, mm. as well. Uh, I, uh, I also have a fat bike. So this is one of these uh, bikes that you you can ride in the snow. So it's got these huge sort of five-inch wide tires. Yeah. Uh, and that means no matter how, what the conditions are like, it's, uh, I can go out and ride. You know, today, it's, it's, it's been snowing all day. I'm going to go out later this afternoon. I've got to get to the pool. And I, instead of taking the car, I'm just going to ride the fat bike there, which is uh, it's going to be like a 45-minute ride pretty slowly. But you get a good workout because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, heavy thing. 
With regards to how do you work your pace out for race day, you know, when it's your first one, I'm sure, being an Ironman, you probably have some ambition of, or at least some idea of the time you'd like to get, but you also, it's a mysterious place that you're going to, so how do you kind of figure out how to strategy, um, put your strategy into place? Yeah, so the, the interesting thing about Ultraman is that you don't, you never have to run off the bike, so people looking at it will, will look at the distance and they'll they'll assume you should ride it easier than you ride an Ironman, but uh, you know, my... My strategy, and maybe this is going to be a rookie mistake. We'll find out if I blow myself up. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually probably ride it a bit harder than I'd ride an Ironman, uh, just because I don't have to run, run off the bike. And I kind of tested this, this pacing strategy at Ironman Arizona in, uh, in November. You know, I, I rode the 112 miles, but I imagined uh, that when I got to the end of that, if I had to ride another. You know, another fifty miles or so. Would you know, would I be able to at that pace? And and the answer was yes. And I I rode I rode harder than I had in any other Ironman. I you know, had a pretty good time. I did a, a four thirty seven bike split there. And I you know, I think it's risky, but it's uh, you know, part of the goal of this first Ultraman that I'm doing is to try and figure out these limits and see see what works and what doesn't work. So yeah, that'll that'll for sure be a, a, a big goal for. Uh, or, or certainly an experiment that I'm uh, that I'm trying out. And probably in, any other tips you've got around um, <clears throat> time management? I think you mentioned a lot of stuff around multitasking. Um, anything else that you do to to you know, enable you to get in, you know, the amount of training that you want to do? Uh, yeah. So you know, some of the things I've used. Uh, I've lived in different places. When I had a long commute, I used to actually uh, do training as my commute. So instead of instead of using a car. Uh, there was one place where I, I worked about, it was about an hour and a half ride, and I actually used to, I got this old mountain bike and actually set it up with a power meter, so I, it would take me longer. So it would take me about two hours each way, and that's, you know, that's great because it's four hours of, of training a day, plus I'm, I'm losing the, the two hours of commuting because it would have taken an hour each way by car. So I'm saving two hours and I'm spending mm-hmm. you know, an extra two hours when I'm doing four hours of training. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have that problem anymore, but, it, but a lot of people do have a, a long commute, and if you can do training, then that's that's a great uh, way to to multitask. Um, you know, some of my long runs, I don't I don't use any music when I run, so I, I use that as as thinking time. So for my for my day job, a lot of what I should be doing is setting outside setting aside time just to think, mm-hmm. and uh, you know really digest you know, different decisions that have to be made made, and uh, yeah, and do that time. That usually I wouldn't set aside time. So long, long runs. I'm just thinking about stuff, and by the time I get back, I've, I've made a decision and I've got some resolutions, and it helps me not to be stressed at other times of the day with all these thoughts going on in my head. Um, but uh, yeah, outside of that stuff, I think you know, people with, um, you know, if people have got kids, they, you know, it kind of takes it to a new level with your your need for time management, and. It helps you really think about what's really, really important, and uh, and really prioritize everything. So, you know, so for example, with with work stuff, I would it was I used to try and do everything before. Now I just try and focus on three things, and not and nothing more than that, and only do those, and just say no to everything else. Um, you know, take care of the priority training. So, you know, you know, I try and do the most important training first thing in the day before anything can disrupt me because. 
the things that are going to stop you training would be just random stuff that happens during the day that's uncontrolled. But if you get up in the morning and you just do your most important workout then and you take care of it, and then it's done before anything can interrupt you, then it, you know, maybe you can do the rest of your training throughout the day. But if you can't, at least you've done the most important thing first. In regards, um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go, well, ahead, go ahead. Well, with, with the relationship, you know, like it sounds like you have a very demanding life. Uh, how, how does your wife find your kind of passion? And also, how do you guys manage your relationship in that way? Oh, man, you're going to get me into trouble now. Uh, <laughs> Join the crew. Okay. Do I tell the truth? No. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I'd say, uh, you, know, I, you know, there's some guys who, you know, they sort of paint this picture of this this super supportive family and they just go out and do go, go out and do whatever they want all the time. <laughs> it's a um, myth. It's a myth. It's a lie. <laughs> it is. And it's, you know, that's not sustainable because eventually your spouse is going to get sick of being the only one who does everything and looks after the kids and, and that type of thing. So, you know, what I try and do is at least uh, respect the, you know, the, the time needs that, that she has as well. And, yeah, I'll try and prioritize around them as much as possible, which then means that they, you know, they're much more accommodating uh, when it comes to you know, to the training that I have to do. With you know, when when I had kids, it kind of switched around in the sense that I used to do long rides on on weekends and big workouts on weekends, and my wife was was kind of you know, very accommodating with that before we had kids. Um, and when we had kids, it's just a, you know, it's, it's pretty demanding to look after kids, especially high energy kids like mine that, that seem to be much more demanding than other people's kids uh, you know, over a weekend. So now I try and get a big, big workouts done during the week. And then on weekends, I just, I just, I still work out, but I have shorter, uh, I just have shorter training sessions. And for example, I'll get up on a Saturday, I'll just get up early at 5am, do, do three hours uh, you know, of hard workout and I'm done by eight and then I, you know, then I'm done and maybe I can do something else that, you know, throughout the, throughout the day. Um, but you know, I'm not taking up the whole day with my training. And, you know, the one thing I do leading up to a big Ironman build or up to a big race, even like this is instead of taking up time on a weekend, I'll just take a half day off work on a Wednesday and start super early. And that means you can get a lot done. You start at 4am on a, on a Wednesday and you, <clears throat> You work out till 1 p.m. That's a that's a huge workout, and yeah, I found that I don't need to have these big workouts on weekends anymore. Mm. Um, so I think doing that, it's you know, it makes you know, it makes everyone a lot more uh, supportive of of this you know this pastime that you know, because it doesn't take over everyone's everyone's life, and I think that's been that's been the key for me to to at least get that uh, that balance right. Couldn't agree more. Early morning stuff and trying to free up those weekends. So, to, um, one one area that we're just going to talk about briefly as well is um, you actually do a bit of metabolic testing yourself, and it's going to be a little hot topic we've got coming up. Um, we're going to another interview on low carb, high fat next on next week's show. Um, tell us about um, how this came about and and just sort of your own experiences personally um, in terms of uh, using metabolic efficiency and 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 how you sort of uh, incorporate that into your 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 race day nutrition and, and your training nutrition and also maybe what you've seen from um, from athletes that you have tested yeah so uh, a few years ago it was yeah, I'd kind of heard about this idea of uh, of metabolic testing it was before any of the the metabolic efficiency topics came out but 
I, I was aware that you could you could go somewhere that uh, that had VO two testing equipment and you could test your your fat versus carbohydrate usage at uh, you know, at various efforts. So I was just interested in that. I found this this local uh, testing facility and that you know, they didn't have any protocol set up to test fuel utilization or anything. So I did a bit of research and I kind of figured out what you know what what I'd want to test and yeah, I went and got the data and it was yeah you know, the the thing that stood out to me was the data was useful, but the the guy who tested me didn't wasn't really help, able to help me interpret it. So I, I started diving into this in a lot more detail and eventually bought my own uh, metabolic testing equipment, really because you know to to really understand my own body and how it reacted under various circumstances, I would have to do hundreds of tests, and and it would have been cheaper to actually buy my own equipment than go and pay for these tests all the time. So I've I've done a lot of really interesting tests on myself um, with the goal of really figuring out Ironman nutrition at, at various paces. And, and it's been really interesting because the, you know, I guess the, the, the things that really improve your fat burning ability is uh, you know, your day-to-day diet really influences that uh, quite a lot. But I think you know, the fact that, that people can change their metabolic profile through diet has led to a lot of passion and religious zeal about <laughs> various diets and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And you, you know, my observation is you've got these two camps of people. You've got the, you got the high carb, your traditional camp, uh, and a lot of athletes, especially the, the slower athletes in an Ironman who just eat way too much carbohydrate. Uh, you, know, you, go, you go and spectate an Ironman and you go and look at the people just making the cutoffs. It's these people, yeah. That there are a lot of people that you can't even believe are doing an Ironman because they they're pretty overweight, mm. but they're still chugging down Gatorade and you know, all these gels and all the stuff. And if you're out for 17 hours, that's a that's a lot of sugar to mm. to be taking in during a during a race like that, and often stuff that they wouldn't actually need. And and on, and in their day to day life, they're probably overeating carbohydrate as well because that's the you know the sort of uh, the, the approach that they've they've read about that elite athletes do. Mm. Um, then on the other side, you've got this high fat camp that you know they just they eat very low carbohydrate. They eat a lot of fat, uh, but these guys they think car- all carbs are evil. They you know they fear the insulin response and they even avoid carbs in a race, which is you know which which in my mind is crazy, right? It's like like imagine you have a a hybrid sports car. That could take both high octane fuel and has an electric battery, and then you've got a race. Let's say you've got this race across America where they, you know, you have a you know, like a fuel truck that will go and refuel you on the go with this high octane fuel. You got the sports car, and you you choose to only recharge the battery and not take in the, the high carb fuel. So in in this analogy, you know, the the fuel truck that's refueling you, it's like an aid station. You've you've got all this carbohydrate available to you in a race. And there's people that choose not to have that because they just want to burn fat. And it, it seems like their, you know, their main objective is to see how much fat that they can burn, not how fast they can go. So, I, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been doing the, uh, I've been experimenting with high fat, low carb diets since way back in 2003. Um, it started as a weight loss experiment, uh, but. You know, I think the benefits that I realized from that—that's you know, that, that initial lifestyle—was it reduces the 
dependence on high carbs all of the time. You have very constant energy levels. You can go long times between meals if you need to. And then if you do have like a very long endurance event where you don't have any uh, good access to food, uh, you know, it's really you know, it's really advantageous just to be able to rely on your your body fat stores to do that. Um, but for me, I just use it. I use it as a tool. So it's not a it's not a lifestyle that I eat low carb, high fat. I, in general, I just eat normal normal food, uh, nutrient dense foods to make sure I get all the, the nutrients that I need. But I also eat. Yeah, you know, I'll eat ice cream. I'll eat chocolate. I'll have a glass of wine with dinner, and. Yeah, I kind of like the, the – there's some people that use the term metabolic flexibility rather than metabolic efficiency. So I like the fact that I can turn this on when I need to and then uh, you know, turn on efficient carbohydrate burning when I need to as well. So I guess, I guess the practical implication is that I, I periodize this in training. So it's at certain times of the year, I'll, uh, yeah, the off-season is a great time, you know, low-carb, high-fat um, – yeah, it helps you avoid weight gain. It supports the lower intensities of training uh, that yeah, that some people do in the off season. And even if you do some in high intensity sessions, you can just eat carbs to to kind of help you deal with that. Uh, glycogen depleted workouts can really help increase that mitochondrial density. But but I wouldn't do it day in and day out. I think the you know, carb cycling is a is a term that bodybuilders use to. Uh, you know, they basically have a few days where they carb restricted and then they refeed and they, uh, you know, that refeeding helps them work out harder and it, you know, it kind of stops the, you know, some of the issues that can go with low carbohydrate diets for extended periods of time. So, uh, so, you know, like, so when it comes to yeah. sort of race day and stuff, how, how do you fuel yeah. yourself on race day? Is it fairly traditional or uh, do you sort of, um, yeah, sort of go down the, the lower carb route? So, so uh, based on my, my testing uh, you know, the, this is my protocol that I use leading up to a race. So about seven to 10 days out, I do you know, full depletion. So I'll do a, a hard workout, maybe, you know, maybe like a you know, 25K run with no fuel. The goal is just to deplete all glycogen stores. And then for the next uh, you know, seven days or so, you know, up until about two days out from the race, I'll eat a high-fat, very low-carb diet. So this is you know, less than 50 grams of carbohydrate per day. So you, you really enter a very high fat burning state, then you glycogen depleted. And then two days out, I do a, a pretty intense run workout, but it's very short duration. So it's like a 10 minute warm up, three minutes at a you know, faster than 5K pace. So pretty high intensity. And then yeah, that, that high intensity workout coupled with the depletion really stimulates the glycogen storage once you start eating carbs again. So then I, I, I start eating carbs about 50 grams per hour. And I, you know, you know, let's say on, you know, for the next two days, it's you know, 600 to 700 grams of carb uh, per day. And then on race day, you, you know, I'll have uh, maybe a higher fat breakfast, so not a very high carb breakfast. And then uh, during the race, it's just, you know, it's, it's pure carbohydrate, mostly liquid, you know, high GI carbs, and I, I take it in very frequently. So you know, the, you know, the reason behind that is that you can still, you're still in, in a sort of an adequate fat burning state, but you do have this this glycogen stored in your in your muscles already. Um, and I take in quite a lot of carbohydrates. So in a in a hot race like Kona, it will be 
about 400 calories per hour, uh, and I'm talking about carbohydrate calories. I don't I don't take in any protein or fat or anything like that mm-hmm. during the race because yeah, that'll just take space in your GI system without much value. You already got enough body fat to to provide the the, the fuel for fat, and I have some amino acids in my in my mix. So I don't uh, I don't need to take actual protein itself since I have amino acids and then in a, in a cool race I could take in even more so maybe maybe 500 calories or so mm. and uh, that's yeah and I just take it frequently the, the frequency really keeps the the blood sugar stable even though it is elevated it's stable and yeah that's that's what I do and I, I, I may actually make my own mix of maltodextrin and fructose which is uh, what works really well for me it enables me to take in more than it than anything commercial and um I, I add in a nice flavor. So at Arizona, I actually mixed that with uh, with ginger beer, which was which was which was great. It's amazing. It just tasted awesome, and it the ginger kind of settles the the stomach as well. So I just I just felt amazing on that. And then uh, I used these Power Bar Cola shots as well, which have got a little bit of caffeine. But yeah, it's all 100% carbohydrate. Uh, pretty pretty high intake, and I, I, t- I basically take as much as I can without without going into any sort of GI distress. Um, and then that that complements with you know, with the with the fat burning to really make sure that I'm 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 fueled for the whole race. Mm. Interesting. So, any predictions you've got for yourself for Florida? Do you want to put out? Uh, do you want to lay out the smack talk before you head down there? Because we do want to have a chat with you after the race to see how how um, your theory has gone in actual practice. <laughs> but any any predictions? What do you think you can bang out the double marathon in? Oh man, yeah, double marathon. I yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not super confident about that. Yeah, I've, I haven't. I was expecting to do these sort of hundred mile run weeks, and just with all this uh, the snow and ice, it's difficult to actually get out and do these long runs. So I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can do under eight hours for the double marathon. But I'm pretty sure I can. I'm, I'm aiming to to do well on the bike. Um, yeah, I think I can. Yeah, I think I've got it in me to do a good bike split. And then, you know, and then, and then for Hawaii later in the year, I, yeah, I think I've got enough time to really work on that double marathon and 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 really nail that. It's um, you know the smack talk. You know, if it was an Ironman, I would know my competitors and I'd be I'd be laying out smack talk left, right, and center. But I actually don't know anyone. I've looked at this participant list and I don't actually know anyone uh, who's who's in there. So uh, yeah, I'll. Yeah, whoever you are, guys, I'll smoke you. <laughs> that, yeah, that's some smack talk, but I, I'm not sure who I'll be smoking. But I'm, I'm sure someone's going to smoke me on this uh, on this double marathon. But yeah, I would, I would, I'd like to, I'd like to smoke some people on the bike. That's that's uh, nice. So I, I think I'll have a, I think I'll have an, an average swim. Uh, you know, day one I'm going to kind of chill out and and just be sensible. Day two I'm going to smoke the bike. And uh, day three, I'm just going to hang on for this double marathon and uh, you know, hopefully get in under under eight yeah. hours. Nice. So if people want to follow you, um, what should they do? Okay, so I've uh, so I've got uh, my my website is uh, robgray.org. That's G R A Y. So R O B G R A Y dot org. Uh, the, I've got links to to other things on there, but you know, Twitter, I'm I'm Rob Gray. Uh, people can actually follow my Ultraman. I've got a specific page on Facebook for for just my Ultraman stuff. So if anyone's interested in Ultraman, they can just go to facebook.com slash RoboUltra. So that's R-O-B-O Ultra. And yeah, from from any of those things, they can can get in touch with me and follow what I'm doing. 
And when's out? Is it in May, Ultraman? No, Ultraman is in February. So, February? Uh, yeah, so Ultraman Florida is in February. And yeah, I've got, uh, I've got, I don't know, probably just, uh, just over two weeks to go. So I'm, uh, I'm doing a bit of last minute panic training right now. Very good. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've got, uh, the, the guys at Diamond, which is, you know, TJ Tollickson's company. Those guys are, are coming down and, and, uh, you know, helping with the crewing and you know, they'll have a spare bike for me and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, let's hope I can, uh, let's hope I can ride well and show off the, the cool bike that I'll have. Nice. Awesome. Oh, we definitely want to hear about it after the race. So pop us a note and um, we'll get your result up there and then we can actually get you back on and, and you can impart some of your wisdom on uh, yeah the theory and how it all sort of pans out. So thanks for your time and all the best for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Okay, we are back, Jonbo. Your thoughts? Interesting nutrition strategy, I thought. Um, yeah, it's interesting because he sticks with the carbohydrate in the race. Because mm. mm, like a lot of people are kind of trying to find that line, aren't they, where it's a bit of carbohydrate. Well, I think a lot of people are trying to find that line where you go low, low carb, high fat, and the rationale behind that is when it comes to race day, I can get by by having a little bit less because yeah. you know, he still has a, a, a lot of carbohydrate on race day and some people can just stomach that stuff, but some people just cannot. So I think a lot of people out of this experience want to see how can I get through the race day, be as fast as I can, but be not t- maybe taking on quite so much nutrition so I don't have stomach issues. Yeah. 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 So, but we're going to have, we'll f- be following up with some more information on this next week. Uh, I think it'll be next week or the week after with uh, Grant Schofield. Bevan's got the book in front of him right now. Why what, the fat? What, what the, the fat? fat? Sugar's in, John. I'll show you fats in, sugar's out. But one thing, Rob Gray. Um, Although I lose a bit of credit with this guy giving the forward. <laughs> Um, one thing that um, Rob Gray could be doing right now is taking a bit of immune boost from Extreme Endurance. Oh, we're going to sponsor. Because he's in that final phase of training. It's winter. You don't want to get sick. Uh, So immune boost is a great way to just make sure you look after yourself, stay healthy. Had an email in from uh, an athlete last night saying, can you just pop me around some immune boost? I've got Challenge Wanaka coming up. And in that final few weeks, just don't want to take any risks and just want to make sure they stay Nice and healthy, especially with us Kiwis and Aussies where kids are all back at school at the moment and uh, they'll be bringing home all sorts of lurgies. So check it out, xendurance.com, immune boost. Uh, keep yourself healthy as you go towards your races. You do need to keep healthy, don't you? It's one of the biggest factors. When mm. you think about Rob just training through winter for a Florida race, you know, staying healthy is one of the most important things around an A goal period. Mm. If you're going to be training for three or four months for to hit a race hard, mm. if you lose two or three weeks of, of being sick, yep, you know, because you might have that four or five days where you're absolute custard, but then it's often a week after that as yep. well. Man, that's that's a lot of lost training time. And I find honestly, through when I'm, we're going through winter, if I feel a little tickle in my throat, I hit the immune boost and yeah. Seven or eight times out of ten, that managers sort of seem to fend it off and uh, and stay nice and healthy. So check it all out, xendurance.com. Good times. Okay, John, we're going to have an interview with uh, the Geek On. Torsten. So we're going to talk Get about... Geek On. Yeah, we're going to talk about 2015 and uh, who was in, who was out, and who to look forward to seeing coming back this year, maybe. Okay.
Okay guys, it's time for our stats update. Uh, we're into the new year, but we also want to look back at 2015. Uh, Torsten from tryrating.com has got his uh, 2015 rating review out. And so welcome back to the show, Torsten. Well, thanks for having me again. So t tell us a bit about what the, the rating report is, because I know we've had you on the show before and you do your sort of your, your, um, your sort of bulletins through the year. Maybe just explain what this is and also uh, what you're sort of doing during the year. Well, during the year, I usually post before and after the race, looking who's in the race, who might have the good chances to win the race or place well. And then after the race, I'll have a look at who had a good result and maybe who didn't have a good result and also the impact of the course on, on the results that we've had. Um, that's usually what I do before the race. And, of course, there's the big report that I put out before Kona, just focused on the Kona Pro Field and how that might all play out. Um, and the rating report for the year that I put out is um, focused on looking back to, well, the last 12, 13, 14, 15 months, uh, basically, um, who had good results over the year, the changes, some athletes that might have emerged during the year, and the good performances during the year. So looking back on the season and trying to relive part of the 2015 season. Now, now we want people to go and obviously read your report, and I was um, skimming through it yesterday. It only came out, I think, the, the day before that. And there's some, some, you know, it's, it's really extensive, guys, and, it's, and it goes into loads of stats, but also just you know some stories about different athletes and, and how they've come along. So without giving your whole report away, because we want people to go and check it out, what were, <laughs> some of the, um, what were some of the key observations for you uh, looking back at 2015? I tried to... Well, condense it into a, a couple of facts, and that's in fact why I came up with the with the new categories of athlete of the year. Um, um, well, what else do I have? Rookie of the year and um, comeback of the year, because there are so many stories to tell from the different races that it's it's just hard to go through like a top ten list and and just look at that. But basically, the top facts would be um, dominating seasons by. Uh, Daniela Reef on the women's side and Jan Frodeno on the men's side. Um, I mean, it's not hard to guess who my top athletes of the year would have been and who the top rated athletes are. In, mm. From from the way these two uh, performed uh, in 2015 and starting again 2016 with the wins in, in Dubai. So that'll be interesting to see how that continues. Um, other facts that I have would be, uh, I think the men have stepped it up a bit on the bike. Um, there were a number of really, really fast times on the bike in 2015 that we've seen. So I think eight of the 10 fastest bikes ever are from 2015. Mm -hmm. And that'll be interesting to see how that continues because the names that put up these um, fast times um, would be interesting. Um, some some younger athletes, some established athletes, but not many of those that had the really, really fast times did in fact win uh, Ironman races. So wonder how that, that'll pan out in, in the next year. And um, the one other thing that I have is um, I think the women's races have gotten even deeper and more competitive than before. And I know we've always had some pretty small women's races in the past that just had like a two or three um, competitors and it was pretty easy to get points. And I don't think we've really seen that um, in the last year. I mean, the, the smallest race was probably Western Australia uh, with five or six finishes on the women's side, I think. But even that field was deep enough so that Yvonne van Vlerken just managed to get a third place. And so that's pretty um, amazing there. And I hope that that'll be a continuing trend that we see in 2016 
that the women's races are interesting, uh, competitive, and really hardly uh, much contested there. So a couple of other things that I thought were interesting when I when I scanned through um, the report or the review was you've got some some things like winning in indicators. Um, you know, mm -hmm. how, maybe explain what what you sort of looked at there. Well, what what I was looking for was um, if you look at the person who is leading in T1, how often is he or she able to win the race, and how does that change compared to the person leading in T2, and what impact uh, do the best um, individual lags have on on who wins? So, um, the best swimmer is um, the one leading in T2, so that's only 17% of the winners come actually from having the best swim um, and and go on to win the race. So. That's not really that much of an indicator. I mean, we do have a number of pretty strong swimmers, um, both on the men's and on the women's side, that le usually lead into T1, but then um, maybe not always uh, go on to to win the race. So mm. swim is important, but not that important. More, The best indicator that I found was uh, the leader in T2. Um, that's about 60% uh, of T2 leaders actually go on to win the race um, then uh, at the end. Uh, mostly that's coming from the person that has the best bike split. That's 54% of the winners. And then the run split is important, but um, only if you're still, um, let's say, in contention uh, in T2. Um, you need to be within, well, I'd I, I, I put it maybe within five minutes of the swim in T1 to be in a decent position to win the race still, and within 10 minutes of T2 to still be able to win the race. I mean, there's a very, very few that are more than 10 minutes behind it. Uh, manage to actually win the race in the end. If, uh, just in terms of one other question I've got around, um, you, know, you talked about the bike becoming a bit faster on the guy's side of things. Mm -hmm. Looking at Kona and stuff, is it still all about the bike? I mean, if, you know, if, when we look at Andreas, not Andreas Raylert, um, Fredino, you know, he was just crushing it all over the bloody course. You know, he's fastest swimmer, just about just about the fastest biker, and then just about and probably was the fastest runner or very close to it. Is it all about the bike for the for the top ten athletes in Kona, or are we are we seeing guys coming through with stellar runs, or you sort of got to kind of be in the game coming off the bike? Yeah, I mean you have to be in the in the game coming off the bike, but um, for Kona that probably means like within five minutes uh, of the lead, mm. um, but you still have to be able to run well. I mean, um, uh, I think the year that uh, Starkey was leading uh, the race coming off the bike, and he just uh, quickly fell out of the top mm. 10 on the run so you still have to be able to get to get the mix right um but uh with people stepping up their game on the bike i mean at least the way i see it there's more and more athletes that are willing to put it out on the bike and and really risk um their race on on the bike maybe build a bit big lead and then just see what happens on the run um people like like lionel sanders or, or joe skipper that just um, tr go out and crush it on the bike and Starkey will probably be one of those uh, again as well um, they just go out and try and crush it on the bike and then hope to still be able to run uh, decent and um, yeah, may maybe go for the win or at least the top three and not just be content with the strategy that offers the biggest chances for a, say top 10 finish or so so that that's the interesting part and getting the mix right is is tricky I mean uh, um, Frodo was in total control uh, this year. Last year we saw Sebi just uh, building a big lead on the bike, and but even he was had to run like a two fifty five, I think, mm. um, to to win it. Um, so it's not like you can just go out and 
crush it on the bike and then do a 315 and still win the race. That's mm. that's not possible. Not in Kona. And there's very, very few uh, other Ironman, smaller Ironman races where you might be able to do that, but you need to have a phenomenal uh, bike ride to do that. Who are the athletes or did we see many athletes who were kind of hot and cold with their performances last year? Well, the way I see it, um, it was probably more um, there's a bunch of athletes that had one good result and then maybe the other races were not that stellar. I mean, look at look at um, a bunch of people that that won the regionals. Um, Jeff Simons was, was doing okay in Kona. I think he was in the top 20. Uh, Matt Hansen didn't have a good Kona. Nath was was injured in Kona. Jody Swallow didn't have uh, the Kona that she was looking for. I mean, she was gunning for the win, but then DNF'd. Um, Van Leerd is another one who who put it out there in South Africa. Had a great result there, but then didn't come or didn't didn't wasn't still in the place to have a good race in in Kona. So um, very few people that managed to have two good races. I mean, obviously Daniela and Frodo managed that. But I think those were the only two that really had two stellar results uh, during the season, winning a regional and Kona or doing really, really well in Kona. And I think that's that's still the question that a lot of um, people have to ask there. Um, if they have to have a, say, good regional championship in order to, to get the qualifying spot without too much effort, will they still be able to uh, come out and have a good Kona result then? Or how, how do you balance the, the requirements of, Doing well, qualify, but then still be able to race well in Kona. That's that's really hard to get, and not too many people manage that. Um, just one other thing around Kona. You know, everything seems to be centered around that. And in the past, we've had lots of great athletes who have not necessarily done well in Kona because either they can't handle the heat or they're bigger units. You know, Chorborn Sinbali was one guy who has had world titles. He did get a, a second or third in Kona, but he he really battled because he was such a big unit. So, how do your sort of your Kona, um, or how do the Kona results compare to your statistical results of, of who is the strongest athletes compare this year? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't weigh or give extra weight to, to Kona in my top 10 ratings or so, but um, the top 10 ratings are dominated by those athletes that do well uh, in Kona, not because they do well in Kona, but because they are the best athletes usually overall. I mean, if you look at Frodo or Sebi or Van Leerd or or these type of athletes, or on the women's side, Daniela or Rini or so on, obviously these are the athletes that... Um, have the chance to focus on Kona and do well there because they are so dominant uh, across the board. So there's a pretty big overlap between those that do well in Kona and those that top uh, my ratings as well. But there's always a couple of people that don't do well in Kona. I mean, Marino, we, we saw this year, um, really having two good races again uh, in Brazil and Austria and then just DNF in, in Kona. I mean, he might have been tired. Uh, but I don't think we'll we'll see him again in Kona trying to come up with a good result. You say that every um, <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think he learned uh, finally learned his lesson this year. Uh, I don't think it, it makes any sense for him to uh, return to Kona. But well, you never know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe if he's if he's had a chance to be a little more more focused. I mean, for him, I think it comes down to. Um, does he try to focus on Kona and ha try to have a good race there and uh, sacrifice the other races uh, over the year? Or um, does he go around the, the the world and try to win races? I mean, I, I, 
uh, spoke with him a bit. And uh, it seems that now he wants to go to uh, Ironman New Zealand uh, next year or this year because uh, that would give him uh, wins on all continents then. He's won in North America. He's won in South America. He's won in Europe. He's won in Africa. He's won in Asia. And now all that's missing for him is a win in, in Australia as a continent. Yeah. So that that's the big things that, that interest him. Um, probably not the offside chance of doing well in Kona. So that's interesting. And, and I mean, on the women's side, you also had a couple of people that decided not to go for Kona this year. Uh, Yvonne von Flarken declined her, de- uh, declined her slot because she was pretty sh- uh, shot after the, uh, all the racing that she did. And she wants to do a focused uh, Kona build this year. So it will be interesting to see what, what she'll be able to do. Um, yeah, a bunch, bunch of others. And well, Rini, obviously, who didn't have a good result in Kona this year, but that'll be an interesting one next year to watch. Mm. With, with regards to males versus females, is there any kind of anything that stands out? Like, are the female girls still racing more? Uh, are the time gaps similar? Has you know, are there any kind of shifts that you've noticed in the last twelve months? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about whether the males are have a, have deeper fields or are closer together, or however you want to measure that. I mean, the way I'm looking at it is, the more you look. Um, the more similar um, men and women seem to me. I mean, there are some some differences, um, but like 95% of the time, they just come from the fact that there's more males racing uh, as a professional than there's females racing at this point. So obviously you have some races where those fields will be smaller on the women's side than for the men's side. But um, other than that, um, going to Kona, I mean, the, the, the most obvious difference, of course, is um, 35 female slots versus 50 men slots and the impact that has that women have to race more often to uh, get their qualifying points needed that there's it's harder for them to just focus on Kona or to just have one qualifying race and then go on to focus on Kona and that's well still the the glaring <laughs> um, um, difference that that I see mainly it's not that the fields are so different or that the races are not interesting it's just that um, it's they're playing. They have. They are forced to play a different game than the men's are. At this have to at this point. So who do, who do we need to look out for this year coming up? I know that's a section you've got in there, but uh, any any people that we need to have on our radar that you've sort of seen maybe coming up in um, the background. Maybe they're not quite top five, or maybe not even top ten in Kona. But who do you think uh, might break through this year? Yeah, the ones that I always find interesting is those that uh, did well in Kona were a bit of a surprise doing well in Kona. Um, I mean, athletes like Heather Jackson, Susie Cheatham that you just had on the, on the show, uh, Sarah Piampiano, uh, Brent Mann, um, David McNamee, you know, those those that are uh, surprises in the top 10 or pretty close to it, or younger, hungry athletes like Lionel Sanders and Joe Skipper, how, how they can continue uh, the the forward arc that, that they, they've been on. I mean, it's very hard for those that just uh, had a good, great, great Kona result to repeat that the year after or to build on that. There's very, very few people that do that and then come up into this uh, podium territory and maybe even come go into the position to be able to win the race. So that'll be an interesting ones to watch. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of new ones uh, coming up. Um, I mean, the, I just want to mention uh, Annabelle Luxford, who's who's been slowly easing into Ironman racing, um, didn't have that good uh, a Kona result this year. 
Um, and maybe another one is, is um, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Kaiser Lechton from Finland, uh, who's just stepping up to longer distances. She was uh, placed pretty well in the ITU long distance in the summer. Uh, she was second in Barcelona, I think. And she just lost a sprint finish to uh, Caroline Steffen in, in Dubai. So that might be another really fast athlete uh, going sub nine in her debut Ironman that just might have an impact there. And it's always a question of how well she'll be able to race in Kona uh, starting there. But that those just might be athletes that have a strong background on shorter distances and stepping up that uh, might be able to do really, really well in Kona. What about, what about, and then there's the older ones. I mean... If you have like like uh, Timo Bracht, who uh, was always in the top ten in Kona, who decided to skip Kona for a couple of years, and I think he wants to go back to Kona for 2016 and give it another shot, that might be an interesting one to watch. That maybe not too many people have on on the on the list. Well, that kind of led perfectly into the next question of who do we who do we, who should we probably not forget? Like if we look at Raylert last year, his Kona result was pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, who are some of the names from the past who potentially should we maybe give some more credit to? Yeah, it's hard to see. I mean, obviously, the one that comes to mind is Lindsay Corbin, who had a really, really bad 2015, uh, on almost on the start line of, of two regionals and then had to uh, cancel her starts uh, just, just a day or two before the race started. I think she raced just one race last year and basically was injured for the rest of the time. She just went back to racing. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. I mean, obviously, she has to qualify first for Kona, before she can really uh, think of doing well there. But um, she'll be an interesting one to watch. And another one who was injured last year was uh, Dirk Bockel. Um, I don't know if he'll, he, he's an older athlete, and I don't know if he still will be able to have a, um, a cracker season again. But if he gets back to health, being healthy and race well, um, he's always been one that was able to focus on the big, races and deliver good results there so that might be another interesting one I think all these athletes are suffering from the I am taught curse because these are athletes <laughs> we've, we've interviewed in Kona and they always go on to have crap results after we interview them <laughs> Don't so. say that. That, we want them on the show <laughs> so um, another part of your quote uh, another part of your review is you have a bunch of quiz questions and I suggested you maybe I haven't looked at any of the answers you maybe hit us with a couple of your quiz questions, and there's uh, there's a, just one or two, and there's uh, there's more on your review, and we'll see if we can even get remotely close to answering them uh, correctly. So, so hit us with them. <laughs> All right, uh, the two fastest Ironman races on the male side and on the women's side. Two fastest. Two fastest. I would say. Because Austria. I, I'm going to say Austria, which I think would have been Marino van Holnacker. And then probably wrote, and I think last year was, was it Nils Fromhold? So I'll, yeah. go, I'll go with those two for the guys. So and those the were the male. And the females? Females. It's going to be Reef somewhere. Did she I don't know if she had a fast nah, she, she didn't really have, well, I mean, she had a good time in Frankfurt, but that was a really slow race because it was yeah. so hot. Uh, but the fast times, fast it wasn't times. that long ago. No, um, so you lead. Oh, hold on. Yep, there you go. You gave, yeah, you gave go. me a clue. Um, what's her name? Um, Meredith Kessler went some crazy time in Ironman exactly. Arizona, and I wouldn't know the other one, but I think that well, it was Austria. Eva Woody was just a minute slower than than Meredith, so those were the fastest. Okay. Yeah. There we go. We yeah. didn't do too badly there. Yep. So, 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 so that, what were the, yeah, what, well. were the what were the two guys' results? 
Um, I think the, the fastest one was Marino, and I think the second one, geez, you, you got me on that one. Um, uh, Frodo in Germany, actually. Uh, yeah, very good. Even with putting All his right. head in the buckets. <laughs> okay, tricky one now. Three Canadians who won an Ironman in 2015. Jeff Simons, so he won. The, right. he won in, in um, Melbourne, and I reckon did Lionel Sanders win one somewhere last year? I don't know about that. He might have done. Uh, okay, he, he, did he won Florida. He won in Arizona. Florida, or Arizona. Yep. Uh, and we need another another Canadian. Um, a girl. Uh, well, obviously, there's got to be a girl in there. Right. Okay. Or, sorry, I'm looking woman, straight at John because I have no idea. Is he the Wirtle Canadian or American? Wirtle is a Canadian. There we go. There you go. That'd be my stab in the dark, but I can't, I can't think of uh, she, no. no. She wasn't it. Who was it? Uh, Angela Nath in Texas. Oh, um, I wouldn't have got that. There you go. Brilliant, guys. Well, yeah, you've got about another 10 questions or so on your review. <laughs> so pe people can go and check that out and, and you know, have a little bit of time to think about it. Um, wicked. No, no, we always love hearing reports from you and love the website, tryrating.com. And, guys, if you've got um, you know, any races that are coming up and you want to see who's racing, it's the easiest place to go to because otherwise you'll search around the bloody WTC website and event websites and probably won't be able to find it. So check it out, and then you can check out uh, the post-race reviews afterwards. And if you want to go get Torsten's um, try rating just get on uh, get tryrating.com and check it all out so as always Torsten thanks for your time well thank you for having me on again and you didn't do too well on the uh, too too badly on the on the trivia question so big thumbs up for you guys I'll try yeah, and just one thing guys with his try rating report it's a it's a fair price policy so basically you say what you think it's worth when you pay for it is that how it works Torsten yeah, um, you can download it for free, and a lot of people just download it and look through it. Um, but what I'm asking for is uh, just put a couple of bucks in, in the pot for me to uh, do with the work that I'm doing. And I mean, a Try Magazine sells for, I think, seven bucks or so is the asking price on the magazine stand. So yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of content in there comparable to that. If you're into professional Ironman racing, I think there's a lot in there and anything anything that you can spare is is appreciated on my side yeah awesome. for sure thanks so a thousand dollars a copy please guys we'll, we'll catch up with you. <laughs> we'll catch up with you during the year thanks guys awesome mate thank you okay jumbo we are back and the good news is uh you've decided we're wrapping up the show <laughs> well, it's a long show we've had, we've done about a you good 30, 30 minutes team. no it's nothing to do with that sure. i want to it's about spreading the content <laughs> through the weeks and he wants his bike. Yes, I want my bike. Uh, it is a nice start to the bike ride from Bevan's place because it's it's about a two kilometer how downhill. Far? Down, downhill. Boom. Oh, it's only about a cane, cane, cane a bit, but still. Well, Strava now, Bevan. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't really. I'm, I'm, all my workouts get uploaded to Strava. I don't really look at it very much. I'm, I am interested in just looking at. Where I I, I, I've never really got into Strava, but it, it, it's how big your cock is, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so if people want to follow me on Strava, you can see see what I'm up yeah, to. Big John is. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> um, but it's humbling how crap we are. Oh, really? Because some of the top guys? Mm. So who's the top guy in Christchurch? Tom Davison's got quite a few. Is right up there on a lot of the, the things. But then you've got some other random, uh, you know, very, very good sites. So what are the iconic rides in Christchurch? Like, oh, everywhere. It's just everywhere. People are on Strava. Like, people just make a Strava segment from 
three hundred meters down the road, like from from your place to the bloody the intersection. Oh, okay. So I I basically all I do is to go in there and just look at the big the main climbs that we do. I'm just woeful. I mean, I haven't maxed it out or anything yeah. like that. So, for example, last week I did six hill reps up your yeah. hill, up Hackthorn Road, which takes, yeah, it's depending on how fast you are, between sort of five and seven minutes. And I'm at last one. I it certainly was not anywhere near max. But Listen it, to it, the excuses. It was, it was my, any more excuses? It was my sixth rep. Yeah, you've been I, spewing all day. But I put in a, 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 a probably about an FTP-ish type effort. Um, and it's only... What, okay, what, what would it take me? I think it was about five and a half minutes or something like that yep. on my third rep. Um, and, and I'm not that fast at the moment. Fast time's like 3.55. Wow. Who's that with? A uh, guy, Josh Aikens, who's one of our... Yeah, he's, he's, not a, he's not a pro tour rider or anything like that, but he's one of the better, better yeah. riders. He's, uh, it's like, how do you find a minute 40 or whatever in there? So anyway. More John, that's what you do. Anyway, you I don't know how I came onto that. What made you go onto it? What made you go to Strava? Uh, I just wanted to. Oh, the main it's all marketing. That's why I, I, I wasn't on Facebook forever. But I thought I need this for for marketing. It's more yeah. because uh, the race that I'm doing, the Sea Sky Challenge, which is coming up April third. Everybody in New Zealand you should be coming and doing that. It's got a. I want to create a segment for that so people can go oh, and uh, okay. measure the size of their willy on that uh, <laughs> on, on that particular course. Even the girls. Yeah. How <laughs> big's your willy, girls? Okay, guys, we're going to do uh, patrons. Yes. Oh, you've done them, Bevan. Yeah, I'm a good boy. You fill that in. Yeah. Well done. I do, I do my work, mate. I tell you, okay. I'm a workaholic. I did two of them. I was up late last night. Yeah. I had a big week, but I was like, no, I could do my job. Good. Okay. You do you for the... Okay, so for patrons, uh, Michael Collins was the first patron. Now, Michael Collins, I thought of Jim Collins. Now, Jim Collins is an iconic business author. He wrote the book Built to Last. He's written a lot of books. And if, uh, sorry, not Built to Last. The book's called Good to Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the most popular business books of all time. Basically, it's a really interesting book because what he did is he looked at companies that outperformed the market for a period of 15 years mm-hmm. and... Then him and his research team tried to figure out how they were able to re-outperform the market for that period of time. So it's a mm-hmm. really interesting case study. Mm-hmm. Um, and those companies don't necessarily go on after that 15-year period and be successful. But but then he wrote another book called Built to Last. Yeah. So I thought, Michael Collins, Built to Last. James the Feeler Reed. Nice, I know that one. We've had that before because he's uh, part of the. Also, oh, wait Reed. a second. You did two, and you gave me the two. <laughs> you said don't. I did two, but you did one. Both of these have been done well in the past. And Warren, uh, Agent Smackdown, oh, I Sutherland. That's from the past as well. Funny that. Oh, funny that. Right, but well, I'll leave you the last one. How did I say that last? One? Her first name. Llewellyn. Llewellyn. I think. But oh. he, you can call him Lou because I did. He, he did email me back, and I said I'm going to leave Bevan with your name because we had a we've and I thought it'd be Welsh. Is that Welsh? Well, you'd think it would be, yeah. and I said we've had a few Welsh names lately that we haven't done very well with. But no, he's not. He's not Welsh. But that's a Welsh name, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is a Welsh name. Yeah, a Hartley. So I thought a Hart. Then I thought of Brett the Hitman Hart. But I'm sure we've oh, done the Hitman. Nice. Yeah. And then I thought of. Jimmy the Mouth, remember who was, who, was the, who was the guy who was on the side with those guys? Yeah, 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 the honky tonk man. No, uh, no, 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 the, the kind of the yeah, the little goatee beard manager, thing. Yeah, yeah, someone heart, eh? He was a heart. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, what about the anvil? Ah, oh, Jim the anvil, night heart. Yeah, so the heart foundation, the heart foundation. So you are the anvil. Yes. So Llewellyn, Llewellyn. Yep. The anvil, Hartley. 
He's from South Africa, actually. Oh, there you go. He's, he said he's hurting a bit after getting done twice after full time for you guys at the Sevens in the weekend. So we had the Sevens rugby at the weekend. It was pretty. Did you watch it? I watched the last four minutes. It was pretty exciting, wasn't it? Mm. Started triathlon back in t- 2001. Finished Ironman Australia 11 times. Ironman WA twice. Nice. Came over to Taupo in 2016 when it got blown into the shortened event. Oh, one thing that we haven't done today that I didn't want to cut out today's show. So thank you to all our patrons. If you want to uh, come along to Kona or want to have the chance to come along to Kona. It's getting drawn really soon. It's getting drawn pretty soon. April the 9th, I think it is. Yep. Um, so get on it. Just go on to imtalk.me and click on patrons and become a patron. Um, as Torsten was saying earlier in the show, you know, it can be as little. It would be really cool. And, and like, we're going to, this is legit. But it'd be really cool if someone who was on our camp won it while mm, we did the draw. It would be. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's coming. Make sure that you're uh, you're signed up. Yeah. One thing that we didn't do that I did want to do today is our new feature, my first try. Oh, oh, oh so now you got time. Now I've got time. But you haven't really. I haven't. This really. can wait till next <clears throat> week. I'll just. It's only a paragraph. Nick Pocock, 2005. That's African name, isn't it? Pocock. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah, there is a few. Yes, okay. yes. 2005 Lake. Estes, Colorado, one and a half hours northwest of Boulder. Craigslist bike, you know what Craigslist is? Yes, yeah, it's like a, like a trade me. Yep. Craigslist bike yeah. for $150, green and white Italian job. Nice. Which was two sizes too small with mountain bike shoes and pedals. Short, short, shorty wetsuit, it was in July. Thought it would be warm. Lake filled with mountain melt runoff. Uh, with mountain melt runoff. Water temperature at start about 57 degrees. That's bloody cold. Yeah. Uh, odd sprint distance with a one mile swim to start. Kept trying to pee in my wetsuit just to keep my body warm. <laughs> By the time I got out, I couldn't feel my feet, hands or face. Took 10 minutes to get into my shoes on due to my foot and hands being in pins and needles. Agony. Feet finally defrosted at the end of a 12 mile ride and ran for my life to finish on a monumental endorphin rush. Wouldn't have changed it for the world. Hooked. There we go. There Love we those go. stories. That's the problem with triathlon these days. There's too much bloody information out there on the no, internet. It's too easy to do it right. Yeah, I know. You know you, it's too easy to do it right. Yeah. So. Okay, John, go. what you got? Oh, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our fantastic patrons. Go to dub, dub, dub. I am talk top. Me, Jombo, what's your goss? What is my goss? Did a little, yeah, did a little sprint triathlon on Friday night. Friday night? What Friday night triathlon. About? It was out in the country. Uh, Who put that on? Oh, they've got this little, because they've got this lake, which is a um, a water water skiing lake for yep. doing like jumps and stuff. So they've got all these ramps and all this stuff. Man-made lake. Some Richie Rich dude. Yeah. Uh, it was out like near Dunsandle, so it's about 45 minutes from, from home. Yeah. And they just dug out this big long lake, probably about, I don't know, 400 metres long, maybe 30, 50 metres wide probably. And they allowed and triathlons they, And then they've just allowed us in on Friday nights to do a few little races. So you meet people there? Oh, they maybe had a hundy. It was oh, okay. great. It was just old school. It's like 25 bucks to enter. The road was really smooth. Our roads in Christchurch are terrible now. Yeah. Um, it was just a straight stretch of road. Out and back a couple of times. The run was lots of cross country. So what distance and, was it? And uh, it's 400 swim, 16k bike, 4k run. Oh, nice. And it was good. Took it out. Did you take it out? Had some young whippersnappers smoke oh. me in the swim, drilled him on the bike, and just just put it, did what I need to do on the run. Took it out. It was not a strong field. Hey, you took it but out. But I'm claiming it. It's on. It's on Athens, isn't it? It will be. So how are they doing those? Uh, they just do three races over over summer. So oh, nice. yeah, it's good times. Outside of that, Bevan, um, 
nothing too exciting. Just stoked to have the kids back at school yesterday. <laughs> really stoked. Was that? Hey, honestly, their necks were just about to get contracted <laughs> several times last week. So, well, it's almost the last few weeks of the holidays are worse because they're tired, they're bored, mm. and you, you're home now, mm. you know, and you're back into your life. And so you're trying to get your things done, and mm. the kids are getting dead, dead. Then they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah, I hate you, Thomas. Uh, do you yell? Do you yell? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of yelling in that place. <laughs> going camping for a night this weekend. Even Belinda's going to come. We're going to go away for a camp for, for a night. night. Yeah, yeah, just a, it's it's tri- a trial stuff. Yeah, I've got a tent. Just just see how things go. What kind of tent you got? I got a decent sized one. Oh. Mm. Bevan, what's happening in your world? It's up in Auckland, John. Mm. Hot up in Auckland, apparently. Oh, it was, Auckland was horrible because mm. it's humid. Mm. It's horrible. Mm. And in a hotel room, had aircon in the bottom floor, but not the top we floor. Heard, we heard about that last week. Oh, did, did I tell you about it? Well, no, you were sitting there naked oh, when we were right. recording the show. Yeah, that's right. You were loving it. Um, it was it was pretty horrible. Um, but Jombo, Friday, Saturday night. So I did my mm. work on Saturday, and I was, we did good work, my team and I. And then uh, ripped up the dance floor and said, Tonight, Jombo. Nice. Went out. And uh, you, know, you know when you go to work functions, mm. The worst thing I hate about going to work functions is talking work all night. Mm-hmm. And I'm very lucky with my in my group fit world that I'm I've reached a position where people are interested in my in what I do. Mm-hmm. And so you go to these functions and all people want to do is talk about work. So my mm-hmm. strategy was rock out on the dance floor. Get out and of we there. Rocked it out and they had a good live band. Yeah. And the, and then one stage, this girl got out of the crowd and grabbed the microphone with her. What a schmuck grabbing the microphone. Mm. Well she Belted it out. She could oh sing like a God. rock star. Wait a second, my phone's ringing. Nice. It'll be ringing me this summer so day. Unprofessional. No one ever rings me. Unprofessional. in the morning. Oh, um, so, yeah, had that. And then we're doing two-hour runs. I'm leaving when you leave, pretty much. Great. You'll do a two-hour run, so it's going to be cool. Yeah. And then I'll tell you I'm going to, you're going to UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's better, really. Nice. Right, we're going to go do a Legends show. It's going to be coming out Miles Stewart. Who's Miles Stewart? He is an Aussie ITU icon, world champion back in 1991, I think it was, sprint That's finish. Early days. Yeah, and, but then he was just one of the... How long did he hang around for? Uh, 2004. Oh, like wow. he, he was 18 or something, or 20 when he won. So he was a legendary, big-time performer, and uh, he's now went away from triathlon when he retired, and he's come back, and he's now the CEO of Triathlon Australia. Just oh, really? Just started the role. Wow. About like six or nine months ago. So great, really good interview, about 45 minutes long. I did it last week. Uh, and if you love ITU and if you haven't heard of him, go listen to it because uh, he was one of the big hitters through the 90s and raced in the Sydney Olympics. And I, I think off the top of my head, was he sixth or something like that? Oh, wow. um, but he was he's one of those guys... Go to World Champs each year, you think maybe he hasn't been doing much, he's and looking a little boom. porky, and boom, he pulls out. So, he, I think he so he only had the one title, but he had lots podiums. of podiums and there, thereabouts. And uh, it's just big time racer. I love people like that, eh? Mm. You know, in the hard moment, do you pull through? Mm. Yeah, and he was a campaign racer, so he's like, right. <clears throat> 12 weeks to the world, so let's get our ass into gear. Oh, really? And, uh, and really sort of worked. Was, we were very motivated by the big races. So. Okay, so we'll be putting that either today or tomorrow, guys. So that's legendsoftriathlon.com. Okay, John, but let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.